0: oh, what I'm not changing, I'm choosing. And so I'm choosing to feel this way. I'm choosing to stay in a situation that it wasn't great for me personally. Not to say that it wouldn't be great for somebody else, but it just didn't resonate for me. Hello
1: and welcome to the BBXX podcast. Let's get intimate. I'm your host, Sasha Laurie, and I'm here to bring you content, conversations, insights, perspectives, and lessons learned that will bring you closer to a deeper appreciation for and relationship with yourself. I'm here to bring you conversations about sexuality, self-awareness, self-development. Relationships, intimacy, exploration that will guide you on your journey to deeper self understanding. Our close relationships account for 70% of our happiness and 90% of our well being. So, better relationships really does mean a better life. I'm so happy to have you here with me. And as always, I'm right here next to you along for the ride on this wild, crazy, beautiful journey. In today's episode, we talk with Kate House, the host of the Live by Design podcast, where she helps people live by design rather than by default. Her podcast, coaching, and community explore how to stop living a life for others, figure out what it is you actually want, and create the change necessary to get there. In today's conversation, we talk about purpose, how to live in alignment with your core values, challenging our default definitions of success and failure, the biggest regrets that people have at the end of their lives, how to recognize when you're stuck living the wrong life, and how to get out of analysis paralysis when you're ready for big changes.
2: Hello. Welcome. I'm so excited to have you. I'm so excited to talk about living by design. I would love to have you begin our conversation today by telling us a little bit about how you came to explore this idea of living by design and why it
0: interests you so much and what it means to you. Yes. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here. We had so much fun chatting prior to this call. We like connected a little while ago and I've been telling my husband all day, I'm like, I'm so excited for tonight. (laughs) So thank you so much. I'm equally excited for this conversation. But yes, so I'm Kate House and I host the Live by Design podcast and I have two little boys, and I'm married to my college sweetheart, and we just moved back to the small town where we first met when we were college sweethearts, and so it's a really beautiful season of life to be in, and it all started this idea of living by design and not by default for me really happened when I had what I jokingly call my quarter life crisis, (laughs) but it literally happened right at 25, and I just woke up one day, and I realized there was nothing wrong with my life. Like from the outside, I'm sure a lot of people would be really grateful to be where I was in the career I was in, but it just wasn't right for me. And I was really living up to the expectations of other people and what they wanted for my life, which were all really well-intentioned. But I finally realized through the burnout and the anxiety and the stress and I used to have nightmares about like my work email crashing, like it was not a healthy place to be. And I finally realized like, oh, I wouldn't choose this for myself. There's actually something else out there that interests me a lot more. And if I don't start pursuing that now, I felt like I was just, I'm just about to start a grad program in the field of study that I was in. And I was like, if I do this grad program, it's going to be so hard to change and pivot in the future because I will feel like I've done more schooling. I've invested more energy and finances and time. And I like had this like crossroads of like, will I or won't I? And I remember sitting on the corner of my couch back when we lived in the Chicago suburbs with my husband and I was just crying one day. I was just so stressed. And I remember him telling me like, I wish I could help you. Like, I wish I could do something to make this better. And that's when I had this like, not many of us get that light bulb like eureka moment, but I like will never forget this moment. I was sitting there and I was just like, Oh, what I'm not changing, I'm choosing. And so I'm choosing to feel this way. I'm choosing to stay in a situation that it wasn't great for me personally. Not to say that it wouldn't be great for somebody else, but it just didn't resonate for me. It didn't make me feel vivacious or abundant or excited. And I realized, like, oh, I have to start living by design and not by default. And so that's really where it started for me in terms of like my adulthood and realizing. I have to craft the life that I want to have and nobody's going to do it for me and nobody can do it for me. And that's kind of scary to realize But it's also pretty exciting to be like, oh, I actually have a lot of agency here and I just have to be brave enough to try.
2: That's one of the hardest and as you mentioned, scariest parts is taking that ownership. It's almost easier to believe that we can't do anything because that doesn't put pressure on ourselves. It might be miserable. We might be keeping ourselves from happiness and so many other things, living up to our full potential, et cetera. But it kind of washes our hands clean of like, oh, well, there's nothing I can do. And it's really difficult to get to that point and have that kind of heart to heart, come to Jesus moment with yourself when you're like, fuck, I'm choosing this? like I chose this I'm continuing to choose this like you said not choosing is also a choice defaulting is a lack of a choice but still a choice not to change and just as I mentioned right before we we started recording the number 1 regret at the end of people's lives. And I bring this up all the time because I find it so fascinating, all five of them. But specifically, the one most relevant to this is number one, which is, I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life that others expected of me. And a lot of us do that because that is what's expected. And it's really hard to figure out like, what do you want? What do we want? And that changes and it's confusing, but what would you say helped you realize in that moment that it was a choice and that you were in the default for people? Some people listening might know they might've been through that as well. Other people might not necessarily recognize that's where they might be at. What advice would you give in terms of being able to recognize and evaluate if you are actively living the life you want or not, and if you are giving that choice away,
0: I would say I would ask yourself if you were to wake up tomorrow living your life exactly the way it is, is it the life that you would choose? And I find that that kind of pretty stark type of question really forces us to think about our life, to evaluate it. And I always like to come at these conversations from. A positive perspective or to really celebrate everything you've done up until this point, to celebrate the wins, the lessons, and all of that. Because I do find in this world of growth and development and choosing to live with purpose, it can be really easy to be our own harshest critic, right? To say like, oh, well, I thought I would be X, Y, or Z by now and get really down on ourselves. And so a gentle reminder that like, let's celebrate, first of all, like, everything you've already done, everything that makes you feel really alive, and then take that time to evaluate what are the areas of your life that feel really abundant, the areas that feel expansive, like your heart is opening, right? And you can even think about like your body language when you think of these things. Like if it's something that you're like, oh, it just doesn't feel in alignment for you, like your shoulders typically hunch forward, you kind of curl in on yourself, you have this physical reaction. And so I would start to think through that. And for me personally, I did like a pretty big 180. I went from working a traditional nine to five to becoming a yoga teacher and managing a studio. And I loved it. And it was so full of personal sense of purpose for me. But I'm actually a very firm believer that if you can kind of make this course correction or really just get back in alignment with yourself and your core values and what lights you up that you then don't have to do what I did. You don't have to like wildly change your life. You can start to make some of those smaller pivots so you can like avoid the crash and burn, and get back in alignment and in touch earlier on in the process.
2: Absolutely. I went through a phase of burnout a couple of years ago and hit that wall, right? When we allow ourselves to take it that far. And of course, sometimes we're not knowingly doing it, but I love the example you gave of body language because subconsciously our body knows there's something wrong, right? There's anxiety. There are all these signs. We're not putting the mental labels on them or not choosing to believe that we can do something about it. And I remember having certain thoughts and being like, I just wish I could get on a plane and the plane wouldn't land. I would just fly around for days or weeks and no one could get a hold of me. And like we don't need to get to that point. But it felt like it wasn't a choice. And it was in that moment when I realized that it was that changed everything. But let me be clear that moment isn't this like beautiful, liberating aha uh-huh moment. It's like the darkest death. Yeah. <laughs> and like the most tragic part of the process. And it's only when you accept that part and that realization and then lean into making the choice that afterwards, you can begin to like climb out of that little deep, dark hole and like burn things to the ground and then, like, Rise up like a phoenix after and redesign things. But ideally, people wouldn't have to get to that point. But what was at the root of my burnout? And as I now do corporate talks about burnout, a lot of what I talk about is how living out of alignment with our values is one of the biggest causes of burnout. And a lot of times, the antidote to burnout, it's not always about what we're doing. Oftentimes, yes, we're doing too much of something, but a lot of times it's what we're not getting enough of joy, inspiration, connection, the things that are aligned with our values. And those can be the antidote. And so, one, when those are out of balance, and two, when we're living out of alignment with our values.
0: Yes. Oh, that's so beautiful. How would you
2: give people, I think we talk about our values a lot, right? But I'm not sure how often we actually sit down to think about like, what are my values? Am I living out of alignment or not? What are your thoughts? What advice would you give? How much thought have you given to what your values are and how to live more deeply in alignment with them?
0: Yes. Oh, it's a beautiful question. I could talk about core values all day. I just dropped a podcast episode on it. I Talk about it in my group coaching program and in my masterclass a lot because I actually think that they are so foundational to choosing to live with purpose, to choosing to live in alignment. All of these things, living by design and not by default, you have to know what your internal compass is. You have to know how to listen to your internal GPS. And if you're looking out on social media or at your friends or at your cousin or whoever it might be in your life and thinking like the grass is greener you're constantly in this comparison game and you're just going to feel unfulfilled. And that's because maybe they're living in alignment with their core values, but their core values aren't your core values. And so in order to live abundantly and by design, you have to know what's important to you personally. And I think it's really beautiful that we all get to have our own core values. Like my husband, for example, adventure is one of his core values. And service is another, and family is another. And I like adventure, but I wouldn't necessarily say it's one of my personal core values. But I get to share my life with somebody who enjoys that, and I get to be part of that, which is really neat. And so for me personally, I have this tendency of wanting to describe graphs on podcasts all the time. But if you picture in your mind's eye a Venn diagram, which you probably did something with in school, so it's three circles, and they all overlap I like to think of a Venn diagram and give yourself permission to sit down and really think through what is most important to you. Is it friendships, relationship? Is it having a sense of service? Is it community? Is it creativity? Like there you can go online. Actually, I think it's James Clear has a really great resource on his website. If you just search like core values, and he's got a huge list. And the one thing I would say about core values is like it's really tempting to look up those lists and be like, well, all of these sound great. Like I want 30 core values, but if everything right. is like important- priorities, right. I have 30 of them and they're <laughs> yeah. all
2: equal, Right, which is and- why I am said person
0: is burnt out. Exactly. <laughs> and like impossible. If we, like- And they're all great core values, right? That's why they've made this list. But if everything's important, nothing's important, right? It can't all be important. You can't have it all. (laughs) And you have to choose. You have to focus. So for me, like you can go to one of those lists and read through them. But I'd really encourage you to only choose two or three core values and If you're one of those people, because I'm one of them, I've coached people who are them who are like, but I can't just choose three. That's where the Venn diagram comes in. You can choose your three main ones. And then oftentimes I find that maybe there's like a secondary one that overlaps with two of your areas. So for me, like showing up and encouraging women to live with purpose is one of my core values. It's something that I just, I feel so passionately about. And so for me like my sense of purpose as it relates to like my work that I do also overlaps with my community core value like being in connection with other women is just something I love and so I get to do that through both the work I do and also just being in community right so you'll start to see these overlaps which is kind of fun and so if you use the Venn diagram you could have up to 6 core values but If you think of a Venn diagram, those overlaps are really small. So that's why they're kind of like secondarily important to your main three core values. And from creating your core values, really being honest with yourself, like what is it that's important to me or what lights me up or what excites me? There are so many different ways you can choose your core values. I find it's normally something that's already inside of you and you just kind of uncover it and you're like, oh yeah, of course, creativity is one of my core values or something like that then you get to use your core values as you make decisions. So as you choose your career path going forward, or as you choose the field of study you go into, or as you choose the book that you read next or the habit you implement, I talk a lot about purpose aligned habits because I want my habits. They say that 40% of your day is spent in a habit. It's something that you're doing without even consciously deciding to do it. And so if Isn't that wild? Yeah, there was a study by Duke University that kind of came up with that statistic. And I like to think like, well, what if I can really be purposeful with my habits and make them in support of my personal sense of purpose, which is grounded in my core values? And so it just gives you this lens through which to to make decisions. I think core values make decision making so much easier because you can say, might sound simplistic to say, but you can just say, like, is this decision in alignment with my core values? Does this feel, check your body language again, like, does this feel expansive or am I curling in on myself? And just by this foundation from which to do all of this other learning and reflection and growth and implementation.
2: Right. As a foundation and Of course, there are so many other steps and you don't just make this Venn diagram and then you're living by design, but I love thinking of this as that foundational kind of first step that people can take. And one thing that really came up for me is thinking about how much to define or choose these core values based on, I think for some people, a default might be to look to the past and say, well, what do I do? How have I lived my life? How was I raised, right? Right. And instead, what if we were to think of our core values through the lines of the future and going back to that idea of if you were to wake up tomorrow and had to start from scratch and design the way you live from scratch, would you design it exactly the way that you're living it now? What would be different? And what would the values be that you, looking forward, want to incorporate into your life? And now that I'm speaking of that, one of the exercises that I do with my coaching clients is designing their perfect day in the future, which I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with five to 10 years from now, or three to five, If five to 10 seems too far off. And from there, when you're thinking through this lens of like, if everything were perfect, right, if you started from scratch tomorrow, or if you were able to evolve in the way that you want to see from there, notice, what are the things, right? An example I give is, are you like hustling in this perfect day 10 years from now cuz what happens right you might have somebody working on wall street burning the candle at both ends and then they're like i want to live on a farm 10 years from now and live a simple life and it's like but you like do that tomorrow probably like if you wanted to right These, you can tell when you cast that net out into the future and draw a line back to see, am I aligned? Am I kind of just off to the side? Of course, the trajectory is also always a zigzag, right? It's nonlinear. It's like tacking in a sailboat. But if you're going the opposite direction, that's going to tell you something. And so creating that vision for the future and extrapolating your values that show up in that vision of who you are, how you are, how you think how you go through your day can also be another really great way to pick up on some of those core values.
0: I love an exercise of dream casting and vision casting forward. Cause like you said, it's so helpful to know just the general direction that you want to have, right? Like to have an intention. Cause I do think that defaulting through our days looks like being unintentional, right? It's like Certainly there are seasons where you're just like treading water, right? Where you're like, I just have to make it through the day. Like I have two little boys who are 18 months apart. So I definitely went through a season where I wasn't like prioritizing growth and learning, which are like really important core values to me. I love to I'm learn. I'm sure like, you were if- learning a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe a, just very, say- <laughs> a, a very specific thing. Yeah, I have no <laughs> doubt you were learning a lot. <laughs> That's very true. I could tell you everything about those little babies (laughs) and everything about their schedules. And so in that season, it looks different. And I think it's important to remind ourselves that like seasons change throughout life. Maybe your core values, like this conversation, your core values can absolutely shift. If you look back at the way that you were brought up or cultural influences that made you think you had to after be a certain way, and you decide like, no, this isn't an alignment for me, this doesn't feel right, you can change it. And then just know that like seasons of life change too. So if you're listening to this in a season where you're like, I'm just making it through the day, my challenge is always like, can you carve out five or 10 minutes for yourself so that you feel like you're moving in the direction of those goals of that future vision, but also reminding ourselves that life is seasonal. And if you are in that hard season, just knowing that There is that hope ahead too, a future opportunity to make that
2: choice. So in terms of helping people recognize, again, if this is them and defaulting throughout the day, again, of course, we can't be like perfect and always be intentional in every moment. But what are some of the things that you use to guide yourself on a day-to-day or week-to-week or seasonal in seasonal circumstances to remind yourself if you are defaulting or not? how much
0: you're choosing or not? I would say for me personally, and what seems to resonate with the women that I work with is making time to get back in touch with yourself. I find it's when we get in that hustle mode, when we get in that distracting ourselves mode, or there's just no buffer space in our day where we're just like one thing to the next thing to the next thing. We get so busy in our day that our view gets really myopic. Like We just get tunnel vision on the next hour or the next couple of hours. And we forget to have that broader perspective. And so having opportunities to check back in with yourself and by check back in with yourself, I mean, maybe you have a checklist. I don't know. <laughs> but for me, that looks like taking time to just get quiet, especially as a mom with young kids. I have a there's a lot of input coming at me all day. And so I need that time to to journal, even if it's like five minutes or put on, I have a song that I love to listen to. It's seven minutes long and I meditate to it. And I just, the words really resonate with me. I've listened to it for probably a decade now. And it's like just as meaningful to me now as it was back then. And I'll put it on for seven minutes and I just close my eyes and I put on my noise canceling headphones, like when my husband's got the kids and the dogs and I just listen and I just breathe. And like, I come back home to myself or my brother passed away last year. And something that really helped me in that, that early season of grief was going for really long walks by myself, like without my headphones, without a dog or a kid in tow, like just by myself, and getting out, out in nature, in the sunshine, in and just being really present in my body. And I've I've continued that habit because I really love that practice of just taking that time to just be by yourself can be so nice. And That can be as simple as like laying down at the time that you go to bed and just doing like a body scan, like closing your eyes and thinking through the different parts of your body and just checking in with how you feel. And that just gives you that chance to notice, like, is there a lot of tension in my shoulders Why is that, right? It gives you a chance to notice, am I clenching my jaw? Like, okay, for me, I clench my jaw when I'm stressed. And I'm like, okay, let's have a thought experiment about that. What is causing that or triggering that in me? So these moments to just get quiet is your chance to just kind of check in with yourself. And then on a much more like tangible level, I think a really great way to kind of check in is to look at your calendar because how you spend your day is how you spend your life. And so if you look at your calendar and you feel like, there's just all these energy vampires on there, like things that are just drawing your energy out and you're not getting replenished, whether that's like coaching a team that you got like looped into or being a homeroom mom. If that doesn't resonate with you, like how can you get out of that? How can you handle, like pass the baton to somebody else, right? Looking at those things on your calendar and saying like, does this still fit with my core values? And I'm a big fan of setting goals as well. And Like a framework that I like to use for that. And so checking in, like, is this working towards one of my goals? Is this in alignment with my core values? Is this just joyful and fun? Like, like you had said earlier, we need those, we need to add the good, right? So, did you leave time to play? (laughs) You know, and check your calendar because that'll tell you how you're spending your time.
2: Right. Play is so important. And I think, particularly in adulthood, something that sometimes. The more difficult it feels or the less practical something feels, the more we could actually benefit from it. And I try and be cognizant of that with all of the internet interviews that I do and we talk about like the most extreme version, but also like what is the most practical thing. But play is such a perfect example of like when am I gonna incorporate that into my day? But I also know how badly I need that and how much more I would benefit from it. So oftentimes if you're listening and we don't want to prescribe unrealistic things we understand people are busy and going through things and the more resistance that coming is coming up the more potential there might be for people to benefit from it
0: yeah absolutely I actually have a play jar because play doesn't come like very naturally to me for whatever reason I don't know it's just like who i am like i'm not great at being spontaneous. And so my husband and I literally carve out time because we've been together since we were 18. And so he's like, he's my best friend. He's the person I love to spend time with. We both work from home. Like we love to be together, but I'm not great at like, like I play with my kids, but like, I'm like, what does play look like for an adult? Right. And so we created this play jar and it's like, we'll do a puzzle together one night or We'll break out paints and like paint something like do like a ceramics painting class or what are some of the other things we've done? We bought the old school game Battleship and we play Battleship, which is like surprisingly fun to play even in your 30s. And we use the play jar for that or we'll like we had one that was like watch comedians on YouTube and it like occurred to me to just do right. But if it's in the play jar and I'm like tonight we're going to choose something from the play jar, it's like I give myself permission to just like to just be present, to play, to have fun, and to know like there is no end result needed. Like I'm not doing something that's like has a measurable outcome. It's just to be in that moment.
2: Yeah. Sounds like one of the most important <laughs> ingredients to playing is just to play along and say yes. Yeah. So that play jar you guys sat down and wrote out a bunch of things and then put it into a jar. And every once in a while, you'll take out one and just beforehand say, all right, we're signing up, we're doing this, whatever it is.
0: Yep, totally. And for us in the season that we're in, our kids are little, they go to bed by like 730. And so, and I don't usually go to bed for like a few hours after that. And so we'll be like, okay, like instead of sitting down and watching like three more episodes of The Witcher, which is awesome, but like, is there something we can do together that's more engaging and more fun than just like relaxing on our couch. Like totally a time and place for that. But like when I want to, like, we just want to have like a fun time. But sometimes, especially as a parent, I find I get to the end of the day and I'm tired. And so I have like decision fatigue. I've made so many decisions throughout my day, whether for myself or my kids or our family. The last thing I want to do is have to make a decision about like, well, what fun, playful thing do we want to do together? I'd be like, I don't know. I literally can't make another decision. So we just sat down and we're like, what are some fun things that you can literally like Google ideas, like fun things to do? And you could do a plagiar with your friends, with your college roommate, with your housemate, like your parents, like whomever. It doesn't have to be like your partner but it just gives you permission to just have some fun and it takes that decision making out of it. And exactly right. You just say, like, for the next thirty minutes, we're gonna do whatever this activity is. And if it's a thousand piece puzzle, like you get a puzzle board and you tuck it away and you come back to it another day, right? If it's a longer term thing. but just giving yourself permission just to like have fun. And I find for me not having to make a decision. and the it's kind of fun to like reach your hand into a jar and pull something out and not know what it's gonna be. So like, It even starts off in like a kind of fun, unexpected way.
2: I often talk about when people are trying to create kind of habit changes or new goals, how ideally we want the, and it's kind of ironic now using default, but we want the default outcome to be the one that we actually want. If somebody's goal is, oh, I want a new year, new me, want to go to the gym, the classic, like want to start working out. Like, great. Is it on your calendar? Are you signed up for a gym? Do you have a gym membership? Do you have the time blocked on your calendar? Are you signed up for the classes and like paid? Can't get your money back? Is your gym bag packed ready to go? Your alarm set? Like, if you're planning to wake up tomorrow and see how you feel and wait for inspiration to kick in and then look at your full schedule that has no time to schedule in anything last minute, then there's no chance it's going to happen. So how do we create these systems or tools or vehicles through which we can kind of tap into what we're looking at? How can we have, right, if we're living the default life, how do we design our own default?
0: I love that. Yeah. I think it's in Atomic Habits where James Clear says, you do not rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems. And that's exactly right. It sounds so clinical, right? (laughs) Like, Like habits and systems but like how can we set ourselves up for success i like to think about it as like when i'm in a moment like i wake up early that's when i get my work done because i'm a stay at home mom too and so i do my work in the morning and so i i have to be really purposeful with that so i wake up at 5:30 and at night i have to say like okay current kate would love to stay up another hour and just enjoy some quiet time or or whatever but future kate if going to really miss that hour of sleep, right? And so I love that idea of like, how can you set yourself up for success? How can we put these systems in place, i.e. habits, that support you becoming the person you want to be? And I think it's in Atomic Habits as well, where he talks a lot about identity-based change. So saying not like, like you just said, like it's not that new year, new me mentality, but like you don't actually do anything to change change. It's about thinking about like, well, who is it in that five-year vision that I see myself being and what does that person do on a daily basis and what, what helped grow them to that point? So how can I start to identify as like, for me, for example, here's a really simple example. I love to garden. And so we just moved to the country. I've got like the biggest garden I've ever had in my life. Do I know a lot about gardening? Well, no, actually, <laughs> I don't, but- my identity-based behavior is I'm a gardener. And so what do I do? I watch YouTube videos about how to start your garden. I read books. I text my neighbor whose garden is right next to mine about the timeline that he uses for planting, right? And so because I'm now identifying as a gardener, I've given myself permission to do all these things, to try these new things, to approach it as an experiment and this like trial and error experiment and see what works and see what doesn't. But giving myself permission to then start putting those habits and those systems in place to bring that future goal of the big, beautiful, flourishing garden to fruition and really starting with that identity. So when you identify with it personally, like I'm a runner. And so I say, I'm a runner, not a fast runner. I'm never going to win a race until I'm in like the 90-year-old age bracket and I'm the only person left, but I identify as a runner. And so that keeps me showing up and putting on my sh- my shoes and going for a run on the days when I don't feel like doing it, right? Because like your motivation's going to wane at some point. I don't wake up as my best self. But if past Kate set future Kate up for success, then I can see it through. Exactly. If you have that system in place,
2: right? Because even elite athletes, I remember draining as a swimmer, which is one of the most evil forms of Torture in terms of sports and the earliest in the morning and your alarm goes off at 445. You're not like, can't wait to get up. I'm ready. Let's go kill myself in the pool and train so hard, like for three hours. That's not how it works, right? But you have the habit, you've built it up. And even now, right? The alarm goes off. You might not be like jumping out of bed. But once you get to the point where you've built the momentum, you start seeing improvement, you get stronger, you get faster, you get halfway through your workout, you get a hit of endorphins, and there's nowhere else you'd rather be, right? You get to that kind of tipping point where you start to feel the momentum building from these things. And so what I'm hearing is creating kind of more granular changes of like systems and habits and redefining the default. And also tools for the bigger picture to am i aligned am i like creating that inner compass to tell me when things are off have i identified those core values but really focusing kind of on the grounded granular level but also the big picture and i like you said seasons of life people might be able to focus on both one or the other but figuring out what works best for you for where you are right now no matter how Small because the smallest changes often lead to the biggest results later.
0: Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, there's this idea that you can grow and just be 1% better each day. And we see that a lot. I think it's said a lot out there, but there's this great graph. It's called The Value of Tiny Gains, if you Google that. And it shows that if you increase or just like get better, and whatever better means to you, not externally validated, but to you personally. If you show up 1% better every day, at the end of a year, you'll have grown by 37 times. And I love that idea of like 1% feels so doable. Like you were saying granular, right? It's small. It's tiny. It's choosing to drink my like kale smoothie in the morning instead of like grabbing a breakfast sandwich through the Starbucks drive through if if really focusing on my physical health is a priority, right? It's choosing to read a book for 30 minutes before bed and really have a purposeful wind down routine instead of staying up too late watching Netflix and then being tired the next morning. It's a series of these 1% shifts that can lead to huge change over time. And I think the tricky thing with that is you don't necessarily see the result right away. It's this stockpiling all these positive things that you're doing. And it's not linear. It's not a 45 degree angle. It's like latent potential that's building. And then all of a sudden it it shoots up, right? And all of these, it just grows from there. And I love this idea that I can just choose something each day that's 1% better than the choice that I made or 1% more in alignment or however you want to call it for you personally. That feels so doable to me. And then the cool thing about that too is like, if you have a day where you're like, life happened and like I didn't work towards my goals or I didn't do the habit, I'm working on habit stacking or whatever that might be, you can start again the next day because 1%, the activation energy to get started again is so low versus when we're like, I'm going to do 20 new things all at the same time and you miss a day and you're like, there's no way I could get started doing that again. I could
2: go on and on about that and goal setting and New Year's resolutions. I, one thing I tell people is that I, and again, just going to the gym and sports and fitness, it's always a a really easy example that gets the point across so well. And so the classic is somebody decides, okay, I want to go, I want to work out six times a week. And it's like, okay, well, if you haven't worked out for a couple of years, why are we choosing six times a week, but people don't want to set small goals because they feel silly when in fact, small goals are the things that make us most likely to get to the big goals. Instead of trying to jump to the top of the ladder, which is like 80 feet high and skip all the rungs of the ladder on the way, you're never going to jump 80 feet. What if we did just go to the first rung and a system as an example that I give people is think of it as a point system. And the most important part is building trust with yourself. So What if you set, okay, the goal of going to the gym six times a week and you don't make it, maybe you go four times. And so since you didn't meet the goal, you get one point per day you went. So you got four points that week. But what if you set a lower goal, let's say three times a week, but if you complete the goal, you get double points for each. So you'd actually get six points. So that is actually more valuable. Because your ability to go three times makes it more likely that eventually you'll go six. And just like you said, when we set the goal and we don't achieve it, we're breaking trust every day. What's the difference? If I say, oh, well, today I couldn't go, what's the difference tomorrow or the next day? Where's the line? And then we slip, we get frustrated, and we throw in the towel. And so the irony is the more ambitious that we try and get with certain things, the less likely we are to achieve that. And so, focusing on building that trust with ourselves, and that's what will build the momentum and get us to the tipping point where it stops feeling like an uphill battle and starts feeling like a habit, starts feeling easier, starts leading to that compound growth. I talk about compound growth a lot too. And in fact, if we think of 1% a day, like that's huge, even if it's 0.01% a day, right? 0.1%. If you gave somebody your money to invest and you got 1% back on your investment every day, and your returns in one year, like that's absurd. If people get 15% returns in a year on their investments, they're happy. And so that's how small these things can be, but they really do compound over time. One thing I love to refer to is sometimes I talk about redwood goals, which might take like 50 years to build something and they last forever. But then there's bamboo development, like your personal development as bamboo, which you have to plant and water. And for three to five years, you might not see anything. It might not break ground, nothing. But when it finally starts growing, bamboo can grow up to 20 feet in a day, so That's what you're building towards, but the smallest, tiniest
0: things and that consistency are going to be the big difference. That's such a powerful visual. I love that. I wrote it down because I'm like, I need to remember this. Yeah, you are bamboo. (laughs) Everyone who's listening, you are bamboo. And of course, right, though having
2: fun along the way. Again, I don't want people. It's not about taking things too seriously. Honestly, I was just having in a coaching session today, one of my clients was talking about how acceptance, forgiveness, giving himself grace, all of that was actually the most important part to, he he just had this, the tipping point just in the past week went through this tipping point is on the other side. It feels integrated. It's clicked. It's in action, but it's been months building up to that. And in fact, the not getting down on yourself, if you're not seeing the development. All of that's actually the most, again, things are a Chinese finger trap. Sometimes it feels like you're going, you got to go like the opposite way to get the result that you want.
0: Yes. Oh, that's so true. Yeah. There's so many times that I, in my coaching, I'm always like, it's not about the end destination. It's about the journey. And I know that sounds like such a cliche, but I think you and I both agree that like it is about the journey and for me personally i think we get stuck sometimes thinking about the end goal and maybe we fall into these like perfectionist tendencies or falling into the trap of worrying too much about what other people might think or worrying about the end result right so like i don't know like say somebody's like i want to write a new york times best selling book And they write a fabulous book and they love the process of it. And then it doesn't become a New York Times bestseller. Like, are you left just feeling really yucky when you get to the end of that accomplishment? Like, what if instead it's about like the lessons you learned along the way, doing the research and the time you spent with yourself and your writing and learning through the publishing process and the lives that you touched and the people you got to share time with as they read your work, right? Like, what if that journey... Is So sweet, right? And maybe you get the accolade at the end that you were hoping for, but that doesn't have to define you. Like that whole process can be a success if you decide what success means to you personally. And so often I think we we look for this external validation, right? We look for the TED talk or we look for the next degree or we look for the certificate or whatever it might be. And there's nothing wrong with those things but I would challenge all of us to really evaluate the quality of our life in our own terms. That's where we come back to those core values and really acting in alignment with what resonates with us. And then that way, every day when you show up and you're leaning into joy, you're leaning into play, or you're working on those bamboo or redwood goals, right? That gets to be part of your story. That gets to be part of your journey. There's so much beauty to be held there. And For me, like my worst fear would be to get to the end of my life and to realize, like, I've defaulted through it. Or maybe I reached a certain level of quote success in other people's terms. But if it wasn't defined by me, what if I feel unfulfilled at that time? Right. And so giving yourself that permission to lean into the day to day beauty of life while still moving in that alignment, moving towards that future vision that you cast, but doing all of that in. The definition of success for what it means to you personally and not some externally validated version of success.
2: Right. Aligning to our own operational definitions. And I'll come back to that because I love love asking people what their definition of success and failure is. But one thing that I wanted to bring up that had actually come to mind earlier when you were talking was the idea of the sunk cost fallacy. And this idea of, well, I've already invested so much. I've already chosen this. I've already put so much money, time, blood, sweat, tears. Just a couple of days ago, I was talking to a friend about this who said, well, it's too late. I can't change now. And absolutely, that totally makes sense. That's how it feels. That doesn't mean it's impossible. And we look historically backed everything that's been invested, again, instead of looking forward and saying, okay, well, how much more will be sunk into that if I'm not fulfilled, if I'm not happy? And thinking of this instead of the past, like blurring our future, thinking almost as a line where, again, if you woke up tomorrow, would you decide the same? And that's not to say, okay, maybe there would be time, energy, things invested that you can't get back. But it's also to say that so many of the lessons you've learned and who you've become and the experiences you've had and the knowledge and everything you've gained, that's, you can't lose that. You already have that and that will go with you no matter what you choose to do next. And in fact. So many people I know who have had huge successes, they would not have been possible were it not for what they had previously thought were huge failures. And we almost think of success and failure as fixed and like it moves back in time with the failure just as stagnantly frozen in the past. And it's like, actually, what we do with what we learned, who we became, sometimes those previous things all of a sudden. to be considered successes if they were the building block of this current success that we've just had so i love thinking about success failure challenging their fluidity and how they build off of each other and one is necessary for the other but i also invite people to think of what their own definitions are and actually success is the most common example i use for operational definitions right of We could be talking about, oh, who's the most successful person? One person might refer to the person they you know making more money than anyone else. The other person might refer to somebody as a digital nomad traveling the world and building their own company, their own vision, whatever it is. So how can we, part of living by design, it sounds like, is designing our own definitions for these often defaulted terms?
0: Yeah, Absolutely. And I think so much of it for me personally is I'm like very much a recovering perfectionist. (laughs) I was totally that student. I have a memory from like third grade of getting a 98% on a test and being so hard on myself for the one question I got wrong on a 50 question test, right? And so instead of thinking about the 49 questions I got correct, I was like fixated on that one question. And I carried that with me for so long. Obviously, I still remember that memory, but that those perfectionist tendencies, and they kept me stuck for so long, and they kept me afraid to try something new, and they kept me in that fear of failure. And so for me, in becoming an entrepreneur and launching a podcast and having no idea like am I going to totally suck at this? Like, I don't know. I have no idea. Right. And leaving my very stable nine to five job and really trusting in myself that I could become a really good yoga teacher. Right. Or becoming a health coach. Like all of these things were new and scary, but I decided to shift my focus and my mindset from this fear of failure to asking myself, like, what if all of this is just an experiment? What if this is an opportunity? Like, my husband's a data analyst, right? So we talk a lot about data. And so I like to think of it as like, what if I'm just collecting data, right? What if I can maybe I try podcasting and I'm horrible at it and that's a data point. I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's not the next step forward, right? Or maybe I try it out and all of a sudden we're three years in and I absolutely love it. And I get to spend my evening chatting with you. How awesome is that, right? And so I would have, that would never have been an opportunity, right? To spend our time together if I hadn't have stepped out of that zone of fear and into that area of like feeling a little uncomfortable. Like I remember the first time I sat down to record, I was sitting in my basement in our old home. My palms were clammy and I was like sweaty and my heart was racing and I was like terrified. And I'm literally sitting in my basement by myself. (laughs) Like I don't know why I was so nervous, right? But like I showed up and I did it. And the cool thing with that is you show up and you keep showing up, and then you get a chance to evaluate. You, you reflect back. I came to the end of my first season. I was like, that was a really cool experience. Like, I think I want to keep doing that. And here's how I'm going to tweak it and change it going forward. And here are the lessons I learned. Or it could have been a chance to say, like, that was a really cool experiment. And like, maybe that's the end of this experiment, and I move on to something else. Right. But I find that if we can just give ourselves permission to do it a little bit scared, that there's so much growth that can happen there right on at that edge of your comfort zone. Not like crazy far out there, like the step 80 on the ladder, right? Like rung 80, but like a couple rungs up from where you are, like doing that. And then if you approach it as like, this is an experiment, like if I had started my show and I was like, no, this is not right. Like it's a data point and we move on from there and we've learned something. And To me, it's really only a failure if there isn't a lesson learned. And so what is the lesson in that, quote, failure that you can carry with you forward? And then to me, it's redefined from a failure into just like a learning opportunity. And then we just continue moving forward and learning and growing. But you have to do something, right? Nothing changes if nothing changes. And so we have to give ourselves permission to do, (laughs)
2: Right. Nothing changes if nothing changes and nothing. If everything is important, nothing is important. I love these little I love these little reminders. Speaking of data points, I often say that information isn't good or bad. Right. You go into your job and you're not happy with where you are. You feel underappreciated. You don't feel seen and heard. You want to raise. You go in and they're not even willing to hear you, the meeting quote-unquote goes terribly, that's not necessarily good or bad. What you do with that makes it, in retrospect, good or bad, right? That's data. You now know, okay, I need to stop hoping things will change at this job I'm at where I'm not happy. That's really good information to have. If I then, as a result, go change and apply and find a better opportunity, and change to a job that brings me more joy and fulfillment and appreciates me and I'm compensated fairly and for my worth and all of that, On our reaction right, might be the default, might be, oh, this is good or this is bad. But just like you said, this is data, this is information. Having that information is good, right? If we do something with it, and especially if we do something and our circumstances become better as a result, okay, then that information isn't actually bad. And so I love this idea of think of things as collecting data and testing and hypothesizing. I know we're getting like, it's not like sexy language, right? But it's funny, there's more fluidity and freedom in the structure and in these systems and all of that. Another thing is I often talk to people about how change, it really is like creating hypotheses. We're just creating hypotheses. We're testing them. And then we're iterating and we're finding what works and what doesn't work. You find a lot of stuff that doesn't work great. Now we know not to continue relying on that, to change paths, to try something else. And the biggest part of what that will do is it will allow you to design things in a way that actually works for you. You can't just take a template that worked for somebody else. You got to form these hypotheses and tests and figure out all the things that don't work to be able to center in on, on what does. And oftentimes designing around how you operate and what works best for you is going to be the thing that's most likely that you'll continue doing and therefore get to that tipping point, the momentum, the change that you're
0: looking for. Yeah, that's exactly right. And an example I like to give is like typically there are people who are morning people and there are people who are night owls, right? Exactly. (laughs) It's the first thing that came to my mind too. Yes. And this is the like acceptance. Yeah. Like you are who you are. And because you might see me doing a morning routine doesn't mean a morning routine's right for you. Or maybe your morning routine starts at 9 AM and you're in a different season of life. Or maybe you're a night person and you're like, I want to do my journaling and my reading and my meditating at 10 o'clock at night. Like for me, 10 o'clock at night, I'm like toast. I'm like, my brain is melty. (laughs) I'm like totally tired from the day. And it's just this really cool opportunity to just be kind to yourself and to embrace who you are and your preferences and the things that you like and to get inspiration from other sources. Absolutely. But like then make it your own and make it designed for the life that you live, the one that you're growing into and the season of life that you're in currently. Right. If you're not designing for you, then who are you designing for? And
2: circumstances might change and we can always evolve and evaluate. But yes, that constant reminder of, again, that like Chinese finger trap, like we think like we're settling, we're accepting these goals are too small. And ironically, like they're more likely to get us to where we want to go. Speaking of all the lessons that you learned from starting your own podcast, I'd love to hear some of the lessons that you learned from the interviews that you've done on the podcast. You've talked to so many people about living by design, the successes, failures, whatever that means, right? The struggles, the things they have all learned. What are some of the biggest takeaways from the interviews or things that have stood out to you, patterns. And then I'd also love to hear if there are any specific examples that you found inspiring or helpful
0: that you'd love to share. Yeah. We're coming in on 200 episodes of the podcast, which is mind-boggling to me. I know, right? Little baby podcaster Kate sweating nervously in her basement. Never true to this day. Yeah, right? Like consistency compounds, right? We just keep showing up. And, Since 2020. Wow. I am impressed. Yeah, just slowly but surely. I started over nap times when my kids were really little. When I started the show, I think my youngest was a year and my oldest was two and a half. And so a little bit at a time. But yeah, in that time, I, I've i just been so grateful for the opportunity to, to connect with other women just like you, right? And so. I always knew I was so excited to connect with the listening audience and to link arms with women who feel stuck and overwhelmed and need to figure out like how to move forward because that's where I was stuck for so long. And I'm like, if I can save you 50% of the time it took me to figure this out, like that would be such a win. And then the thing that surprised me about being a podcaster was the friendships that developed with the other women I got to talk to on the show. Like That was I didn't anticipate that because I started with interviewing my friends and family and friends of friends. And now, you know, you and I didn't know each other except because of this cool podcasting world we get to be part of and we choose to be part of. And that's been like one of the coolest things that surprised me about podcasting. So yeah, I've done so many different interviews and some of the things, the themes that I see come up time and time again is first of all, that nobody can make the change for you. So like we were saying, like the gym example is just so easy, but like, but it resonates, right? Like nobody can go walk that mile for you on your treadmill. Nobody can do the yoga class or the strength training workout. Like you have to show up and do it for yourself. And so this idea of taking ownership of your life and seeing that not as something that's daunting or scary, but something that's maybe kind of exciting. Like you get to choose how you spend your time and choose to do it in a way that feels important to you. So that's something that's come up time and time again is just that you get to make these decisions and can really start to lean into that and lean into the excitement that comes with that. Something that I hear a lot from my guests as well is that so many of us share because of the experiences that we've gone through. So, so many women that just have a heart for others. So like you share your story of burnout and it gives a listener, it makes them feel seen and that you're holding space for them and acknowledging that this happens and here's what helps, right? And so many of the women who come on my show, whether they've also gone through burnout or they've been on a health journey or they've changed their mindset or they've become a coach or whatever that might be, they've become a mentor. It comes from having these moments that feel challenging, these moments where we really do find ourselves, like you were saying, like that aha moment isn't beautiful. It's like for me, it was tear street and mascara was everywhere, right? And I'm like sniffling and realizing like, oh my gosh, something has to change because I can't keep doing this. And so it's all these incredible women who've had that moment and then decided like enough is enough and I'm going to start taking ownership and start making changes and shifts for the better. And then I really think like the final thing that I've seen just time and time again is this idea of, and we were talking about this earlier, I swear this wasn't planned, but these small shifts over time. So signing up for that one grad course or taking the yoga teacher certification or showing up and going for a walk every single day to prove to yourself that you can and you build that self-confidence and that self-trust, right? It's this idea of small steps leading to great change over time. And this idea of, I like to call it like the lowest barrier to entry, like giving yourself permission to start small, like you were saying earlier, even. And these women who have built these beautiful careers and have these podcasts that touch thousands of people, and they all started with just this heart and this desire to love and serve others well. And they just kept showing up, right? They kept doing those little things that accumulated and grew over time. And so when I talk to these women, it's so encouraging because I'm like, I'm also a mom just sitting in her basement recording podcast episodes, right? And this idea that one one session sitting down and recording together, like I'm getting to learn from you in real time as we have this conversation, which is just so cool to me. And it, And then tomorrow it looks like showing up and working on my coaching program, right? Like there are all these different ways you just keep showing up and it c- compounds over time. And so- I think those are the biggest lessons I've learned from these women is just to like is to believe in yourself to to set goals that like give you some butterflies and like make your hands a little clammy or like I don't know if I can do this but I'm going to try and then to get those systems in place that really support giving it its best shot to coming to fruition.
2: Awesome. Awesome. Any other words of wisdom advice? practical things to implement, big or simple, that you'd like
0: to offer as we wrap things up. Oh, that's beautiful. I think my word of advice or just like something to leave you with would be in this whole journey of connecting with your sense of purpose or getting in alignment or identifying your core values to first give yourself credit for all the awesomeness that you have already experienced and achieved in your life to really celebrate who you are and the things you love about yourself and to come at it from this place of appreciation and self-love and then to give yourself permission to like let go of all the shoulds all the things that people say you should want to do or you should like or whatever And give yourself permission to kind of dream big, whether that's journaling or having a conversation with somebody or like a brainstorming session. Give yourself permission to do that vision casting three, five, ten years out. And don't limit yourself. And if you feel lost about where to start, go back to what you loved when you were a kid. Oftentimes the things we loved when we were young are the things that Bring back that sense of play or excitement. Like, did you love drawing? Did you love horseback riding? Did you love dancing? Go back to those things and just tap back into that fun, playful, maybe creative energy and just see what that starts to unlock for you. Actually, one of the, it was
2: a couple months before kind of my experience with burnout came to uh, imploded on itself, but. In the months leading up to that, I had a huge aha moment that had to do with an exercise. Thinking about when I was a child and like, it was just to choose a moment that you remembered when you were happy or like what brought you joy. But it was this realization of like, when I was just in a state of play or doing a certain activity, it was jumping off the diving board, but like repeatedly for like hours on end, you again, and like time didn't exist. And I had this realization through that exercise that I was giving my time to other people that if I didn't protect it, no one would and time therefore energy, right? Which is even more, even bigger. And that was actually the moment when I realized it was a choice. So there you go full circle. And another one of the biggest realizations that I had through that entire kind of experience that I went through with burnout and all of that was that the only thing harder than pushing through is pushing pause because pause is where you actually look up, you get off the hamster wheel and you question why you've been doing things. And you realize there may be another way. You realize it might be a choice. You question the status quo. It invites in doubt, fear, right? And so sometimes actually pushing pause can be even harder, much harder than just pushing through. Well, thank you so much for joining me today to have this conversation about living by design and saying no to the default life, avoiding having that number one regret at the end of life, some of the granular practical things you can do maybe on a daily, weekly basis and some of the bigger picture things you can do in terms of getting clear on your values, your vision for where you want to be. And above all, doing it in the way that works best for you. Coming up with your own definitions. Cultivating and coming and getting attuned with your own inner compass to guide you, to read the signs, to get to know yourself. And doing it on your own terms in the way that works best for you. Whatever that looks like. However, that means designing things. So thank you again. And so excited
0: to continue the chat and to also continue the chat on your podcast. Yes. Thank you so much. I know I'm super excited to have you over on the Live by Design podcast. And I can't wait for part two of our conversation. Awesome.
1: Thank you so much to each and every one of you for tuning in to listen to our show. If you like what you learned and you know someone who might also like listening, please do share this podcast. You can also feel free to reach out to us anytime. If you'd like to submit questions, requests for experts to have on the show, or if you'd like to share your positive feedback or constructive criticism, we'd love to hear what you think. It's the only way we can learn and grow along with you. Be sure to check out our website, follow us on Instagram at bbxx.world and subscribe to the Book Club newsletter where we send out even more resources to help you dive even deeper to the topics that we bring to you on the show. Once again, we encourage you to take what we discuss on this show and apply it in your everyday life. Because remember, better relationships equals better life.